Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for uh, that enthusiastic response from some of you. Good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, thankful to be together. This is the best part of our week to worship the Lord together. So glad to be with you. If you're new this morning, we especially just want to say welcome to you. We're really, really uh, happy to have you with us and we'd love to meet you. So after the service, would uh, invite you to come up and meet a pastor or elder up here at the front or step outside of the Welcome Center as well. Afterwards, we'd like to be able to just say hello. So thanks for being with us. Uh, for all of us, we begin our service each week by reminding ourselves of these words on the wall, that at Grace we want to be a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That's what we want to do uh, all the time and this morning as well. So with that, let's begin our service by reading from God's Word. If you're able, please stand with me, and we're going to read from Psalm 103, the first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And Lord, we want to bless you this morning uh, from the deepest part of who we are. We want to not forget your benefits. Thank you, uh, most of all, that you are the one who has forgiven our iniquities. Thank you that you hold our lives in your hands. Thank you that you've drawn us up out of death and into life, and you've satisfied us with what's good. So, Father, we thank you and praise you. Pray that you would receive all glory and honor and praise this morning as we worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please remain standing and let's worship together this morning. They laid him down 
above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 together. We'll remain standing out of honor for God and his perfect, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to pray in a moment, and as we do, I want to mention something that you can be praying about throughout this coming week. There is a team going down to Mexico uh, next weekend uh, to build a home for a family down there, and we're going to pray for them in just a moment. But first, if you are a part of that team and you're in this service, would you briefly just stand or raise a hand so we can uh, acknowledge you? Yeah, we have one in the back. Thanks so much. Great. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you all for... Uh, for being willing to go down, and we're excited for you and praying with you. God has been kind to meet all of the needs of the team in terms of people and finances, and so we're grateful for that. Um, let's pray together now, and we'll pray for the team especially. Father, thank you. Um, thank you, Lord, that we who were once far off, who uh, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, and um, especially we who are far from the nation of Israel, um, far from where you began to work in the world a long time ago, those of us who know Christ, you have drawn us to yourself, um, even here, to turn from our sins and to trust in Jesus, uh, the Messiah and Savior of the world. And we know that only in him can we find forgiveness for our sins, life with you. And so we thank you. Thank you that we have bold uh, access to you in prayer now because of Christ. We know that we're united with him and we share in his standing before you of perfect righteousness and even that we can share in his status as your son. And so thank you that we can approach you, that you hear us, and that we can have the expectation that you listen to our prayers and 
Lord, we thank you for that and praise you. We want to, um, we want to ask this morning, uh, especially for your grace on this team going to Mexico in the coming week or the coming weekend, we ask that you would allow that trip to be fruitful and safe as well. Lord, we pray that you would um, make it fruitful for the sake of the gospel. Pray for each individual team member who is going and ask that as they are down there serving, um, you would give them grace to act and speak and, and have an attitude in a way that would reflect the grace of Christ. And we pray for the family that's going to be blessed by this new home. And we pray that for them it would definitely be a physical blessing, but additionally um, there would be uh, work by your spirit to bring grace to that home where they would see that these are uh, servants who've been changed by the grace of Christ and that you would work in them to bring them to Christ as well if they don't already know you. Um, Lord, we're just grateful that as a church you allow us to have um, opportunities like this to serve you. And we pray for your blessing on what's coming. Uh, next weekend. We also want to continue to lift up our church body to you here, Lord, and we pray that you would uh, continue to work to have our church uh, characterized by the things that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 4. Lord, especially would you give us unity? Would you allow us to be united with one mind because we know that we share in one body, in one spirit, and we have one hope? Um, thank you that, that in Christ even though we have diverse backgrounds and, and are coming from all kinds of different places in life and are very different people, we have an amazing unity and a shared hope uh, because of who Christ is, what he's done for us, and the hope of eternity that waits. So Lord, would you give us unity? Would you give us true love for each other and selflessness? Would you fill our lives with the fruits of your spirit, even so that unbelievers would see at Grace Church of Orange a witness to the reality of your life and that we would be a temple where your glory dwells by the grace of your spirit. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to work in this way among us. We thank you for this morning. Um, we pray that as we sing and receive your word and pray together and have fellowship, you would humble our hearts and you would allow us to fix our eyes on our soul's reward, Jesus Christ, and he would receive all honor and glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you please stand once again as we continue to sing?
gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace and faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you, while the holy and perfect spotless one would send your own son, Lord, who is righteous, who is fully God and fully man to live a sinless life, Lord, and to die on the cross to take the penalty for our sin, Lord, and we know that the work is finished, that for all who have trusted in Jesus, our sins are paid for, Lord, and we get to be restored into a right relationship with you. Lord, what an amazing gift. We are so thankful, and we ask that this morning you would open our eyes by your Spirit to understand your word, Lord, to see more clearly Jesus and your character, who you truly are, Lord, and we ask that you would continue to mold us into the image of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we pray this because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, shipwreck was inevitable. God promised the Apostle Paul that he would get to Rome, but on the way they encountered stormy seas. And in Acts 27, we, we read that the, the storm was so bad, and they were violently storm-tossed, and they began to throw the cargo overboard, and on the third day, the ships tackle as well. And it says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, there was no small tempest. All hope of being saved was at least, at last, abandoned. Um, they had no hope. Many today feel as if they have no hope. That might be you today. We focus a lot of times on the wrong things. Uh, power, prosperity, pride. Um, we can't stand powerlessness or pain or persecution. Um, sometimes we focus on things going wrong, challenging circumstances, hardship, illness, marital problems, joblessness, fear of the unknown, financial crisis, unfulfilled dreams or desires, disappointment, family problems, temptations. And if you haven't noticed, there has been a growing uh, sense of hopelessness in a lot of people in the world. Uh, everything get thrown into the mix uh, cultivates a, um, an anxiety, a, a despair. And people lack hope. People need hope. Christians have hope. And today in Ephesians 4, verse 4, the, we're looking at the oneness of Christ over a number of weeks as we go verse by verse through this letter. But we're looking at these seven ones in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, and today, one hope. All believers have the same hope. And we're going to look today at the identity and the basis and the character of our hope and how it changes how we live. Now, this letter was written to a church in the first century in Ephesus, the capital of Asia at the time. It was a mile inland from the east region of the Aegean Sea. They had a lot there. They had a lot, you know, that would make a lot of people happy. They had this huge stadium theater that seated 50,000 people. They had one of the seven wonders of the world in the temple of Diana, also known as Artemis of the Ephesians. They had a lot, but they had no hope. And the Christians there, the new believers, did. And here is this hotbed of paganism. And in this place, God, God uses the believers in that place as a powerful springboard for the gospel. Paul had visited on his second missionary journey and had spent three years there. 
And he was so successful for the gospel that the idol makers became worried and they revolted against him, caused a big riot. He flees to Macedonia and he's returning back to Jerusalem after some time and he has the Ephesian elders meet him in Miletus some 35 miles north. It's recorded in Acts 20. It's a great example of uh, what the elders in the church are called to do to protect the church. But he wrote then later to this Ephesian church around 60 to 64 AD while he was in prison. This is one of uh, five prison epistles. And it is a very profound letter. The theme of the glorious grace of God in, in saving and forming his church. Uh, the church is called his building in Ephesians, his bride, his body. God is building his church. She is his bride, the very body of Christ. We are to look to Christ. He is the head of his body. He is the cornerstone of the building. He is the husband of his bride. Like today, if you have been set free by Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you are a testimony of faith in Christ, you have been made part of that building that God is, is doing and the bride and the body. And that you are called now to live consistent with that unity that, that the Spirit of God has put into his church. In chapters 1 to 3, really it's all about what God has done for us in Christ, our position in Christ. In chapters 4 to 6, what we are to do in response, our practice as Christians. God's plan is to bring everything under Christ as the head. We, now his body on earth, have a part in this plan. Spirit guaranteed it by God's promise. And so in these three verses, and we're going to look at just one part of one of those verses, there are these seven reasons why those belonging to Christ, those in Christ's body, are to preserve the Spirit's unity. And there's seven ones. We've looked at two already. We're going to look at a third today. We started with the one body. Betrays the church as a single visible community in localities. It's not an idea. It's a reality. This is, we are proof positive of that. In those days and even now, pagans get to choose from a vast variety of, of false gods and a vast array of religious cults. Christians were made members of one body. That Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. There's one body, not two. And we asked these three questions when we looked at this. Are you a part of that one body? And do you love that one body? And are you helping or hindering that one body? Next, we looked at the one spirit that indwells the body of Christ, that by him the body lives and moves. The spirit of God brings together diverse groups, and the spirit of God, as we saw, blesses believers with salvation, seals and secures the believer, gives wisdom, grants access to God, builds the body, reveals the truth, and gives us power to live. We saw what our response is to be. We are not to grieve the Spirit of God by unrepentant sin. We must be controlled by the Spirit. We even must sing scriptural songs and pray and then take up the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Today we come to the one hope. And we're going to look at the identity, the basis, and the character of our hope and how it changes how we live. Hope's identity, like what is it? And hope's basis, where does it come from? And hope's character, what does it look like? What does it do? So first we'll look at hope's identity. What is it? If you look in 
in verse 4 here, Ephesians 4.4, 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What is that hope? Well, the Bible portrays it as there's a biblical hope and there's false hope. You can, you can have real hope or you can have false hope. And the Bible is really clear about calling out the difference between the two. That false hope is unfounded. False hope is vain. And, and, and hope that is real is hope with a foundation. And, and what the Bible lets us know is that the, the range of false hope you know, is as varied as the human uh, depraved heart uh, will, will make up things uh, and, and believe things that deceive. And the Bible even says you, you shouldn't have hope in military might. You shouldn't have hope in human strength. You shouldn't have hope in human wisdom. You shouldn't have hope in riches or your own righteousness. Those are all inadequate basis of hope. And the Bible tells us that the unrighteous person that trusts in those things has no hope. Human hope is like a house built out of toothpicks. It's not going to stand. It won't hold. You know, it's like you try to build a house out of marshmallows. It's not going to last. It's just going to fall down. The Roman poets wrote this, While there is life, there is hope. The preacher in Ecclesiastes 9.4 said, He who is joined with all the living has hope. Because you can hope while you're alive. While you're alive, you can hope. But what you need to ask is, is my hope certain? What is the hope? Do I have a hope? Do I have real hope or do I have false hope? In the Old Testament, hope was always rooted in God. Uh, true hope is always directed to God. Um, despairing, the psalmist actually spoke to his own soul and said, hope in God. The God is the hope of Israel, as Jeremiah puts it. That he is, as the psalmist put it, the hope of all the earth. And so the Israelites had this hope that wasn't indefinite, it wasn't uncertain, uh, it wasn't wishful thinking, it was based on Yahweh, it was this confident expectation of future good from God. That's a good definition of hope, confident expectation of future good from God. If you think of Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, that you would have this confidence that, that you know for sure that because you've been promised by God in his word. That if you have biblical hope, if you have this confident expectation of future good from God, you actually are, are dealing with reality. You're not dealing with your feelings. You're not dealing with something that just gets made up. And you don't have to doubt your hope. That this is the sure foundation on which a believer builds their life, believing that God always keeps his word. That you actually have something happen in your life and you, you, the, you know, the, the wheels start turning and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm not hopeless here. There's something real. I'm going to go back to the word. I'm going to be reminded of God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Hope is grounded in God. You think of the Old and New Testament covenants. You think of the golden gospel thread throughout all of the scriptures. It all points to hope in God, this hope that is this confident expectation of future good from God. It is the defining characteristic of anyone who seeks God and, and experiences his grace in Christ. It doesn't just come out of thin air. People will say left and right, I just hope this happens. It's some wishful thinking. They kind of are like, you know, if, they, if, they, if you lean just right, maybe this will happen. Or if I do just the right thing, it will happen. 
Hope doesn't come out of thin air. Hope's identity is a confident expectation of future good from God. And it has a basis. It has a basis. You don't muster it up. It doesn't come from you. So hope's identity is confident expectation. Hope's basis, secondly, uh, now if you look at the scripture references to hope, it, it shows very clearly the only true foundation of hope is God. That God is the basis of hope because of his known character, because of his covenants, because of his past acts of deliverance and everything he says. That by his love, he is the hope of Israel uh, through his covenants, and he has pledged himself to bless his people. That's a central to the Old Testament hope, the object of the hope, a desire even for God's salvation, often asking for God to deliver. And so what you'll see in the Old Testament is acts and attributes of God are reasons for hope, that his steadfast love and mercy are reason for hope, that his sustaining power, even as Isaiah puts it, his arm is reason for hope. But what happened with the people in the Old Testament, the people of God that were supposed to be faithful to him because he is faithful? Well, they, because of their sin, got put into exile, and expectations then of hope were shattered in the exile. And so they, they began to feel hopeless. And what, what the prophets kept emphasizing is that the Messiah would come and redeem his people. That is what was going on. And that God's people were even called in Zechariah prisoners of hope. Interesting wording, prisoners of hope. They were in captivity to their own sin and their own folly. They were in captivity to armies that had conquered them, the foreign captors. And they were to endure in hope due to the blood of God's covenant, to his promises. And it's the same idea of hope that, gets, that, that, that rolls right into the New Testament. And it's seen in the messianic office of Jesus and his saving work his cross work, that he gives hope to those without hope. Those who were strangers of the covenant of, of promise, as Ephesians 2.12 puts it. That Isaiah said this in Isaiah 42 verse 4, in his name the Gentiles will hope. That, that, that those who, who trust God's provision of, of the deliverer would, would experience the glorious splendor of God in Christ, the glory of God, because our hope is heavenly. This future hope, this future co conviction that God will keep his word, and all of creation is caught up in this. Romans tells us all of creation is caught up in this. And what you have in Romans 8, verse 20, is an echo of Zechariah's prisoners of hope words. Paul is, is strongly asserting this. The creation was subjected to futility in hope. And hope, as we see biblically, it is most itself when it is occurring in context of darkness, in sin, in suffering, in persecution. When you get to the New Testament, you have this full-blown theology of hope. It is explicit, it is strong, it is, it is, not, um, it is not just like a, a side idea. The, the, uh, the hope that we have in Christ, based on his cross work and his resurrection, that as the writer of Hebrews said, the, the new covenant provides a better hope because of the promises of God. And so what you see is the basis of hope, this has to be very clear in your mind, is Jesus Christ. You can't say, oh, I just have this generic hope in God. 
If you know someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and they're like, I'm hoping in God, they're, 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 they're probably making things up in their own minds. Jesus Christ is the foundation, the basis of hope. Our faith is confident assurance in future good from God founded on the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. They had this faith based on confident assurance of hope, good from God in the future. And what you see very clearly is they're based on God's promises to send the Messiah. That It's about God's saving work. It's about God's saving work in Christ very specifically. It's about Christ's atonement. It's about Christ's sacrifice, his substituting himself in our place. It's about his justification of lost sinners. It's about reconciling people to himself. It's about redemption. It's about resurrection. And this is why 1 Timothy 1.1 says, the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. The evidence and the cross work and resurrection of Christ. So, these things are clear. Hope's identity is confident expectation of future good from God. Hope's basis is God's work in Christ. Now, I want to spend the most of our time on hope's character. And much like we did last week, picking out from Ephesians what it says about the Holy Spirit, I want to see what does Ephesians say about hope. And I want you to see what it looks like, what it does. I want you to see the powerful character of hope, if you will, or the activity of hope, or the shape of hope. And we're going to focus on three elements of this hope seen in Ephesians. Three elements. And the first is this, that it is a saving hope. That this hope that we have that is a confident conviction and this confident assurance of future good from God, based on the cross work of Christ, is a saving hope. It is a living hope of eternal life with God. And this hope belongs to the call. If you look at Ephesians 4.1, put your eyes there, it says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is praying for these believers and saying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened and that you would know have an assurance. What is the hope to which he has called you? Those who formerly had no hope and were without God in the world now have a future hope, a heavenly hope. And so our, our verse even today says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There is a, a hope that is a saving hope. In Romans 5, in verses 1 and 2, speaks of being justified by faith, that we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're looking forward to future good from God. Romans 5.5 5 tells us hope does not disappoint. Not can be disappointed by this hope, all the things that you use that word hope for are really a lot of times wishful thinking. I think sometimes we need to reserve it for what it really is, hope in God. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is why Titus puts it this way. We live in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. 
This is, this is the basis of why we can, you can sit here today and you could have a list of things. You could have a litany of things where you're like, this is going on and it's, it's bad. And I have this or I have that and, and this isn't working out. And as a believer, you can sit here with a, with a living hope knowing that you are saved by Jesus and knowing that there is future glory and that you will be able to get through what you're going through now. In Titus 3.7, it says, We are justified by his grace, so we became heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is why Paul is praying, that you would know the hope to which you've been called. You look in Romans 8, 28 to 30. It says, for those who love God, not a generic love for God, someone who's been called into fellowship by God to, to believe in Christ, it says this, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And it, and it ex- explains it all. For those who are called according to his purpose. This effectual call of God where you actually believe, you run from your sins and run to Christ. It says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he would be the firstborn among many brothers, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Peter puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is your hope in Christ, believer. This is why then it goes on to say that your hope and faith are in God. Your hope and your faith are in God. The apostles were saying this in the book of Acts. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And hope is obtained through grace. In 2 Thessalonians 2.16, this prayer, may our, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us everlasting comfort and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts. We're saved by grace through faith. Romans says it this way, in this hope we were saved. I picture like a life preserver that getting thrown out to, to drowning folks and that you just cling on to that life preserver and it, it just holds you. It's a hope given by the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance, the future good that we have from God. It's the guarantee of the one hope to which we've been called. Now, if you're here today, if you're listening online and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, here's what's true. You can gather facts. You, you, could, you could take a note of everything I say. You could write down Bible verses. You could have all these ideas, and you could say, okay, I understand what you're saying. And, and you could gather facts. A lot of people are fact gatherers, factotums. But you will gather facts and never understand unless and until God gives life to your dead soul, where he would open your heart to the gospel message of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and he regenerates you and gives you faith, and you respond in faith. And if you ask, how will I know? 
I will say to what I say to every person, saying, how will I know if I find the person I'm supposed to marry? All these guys I talk to, they're like, how will I find the right gal? I'm like, you'll know. Well, you'll know if, if, if this happens in your life because you will believe without reservation. You will turn from your sins and you will run to Christ. There won't be any holding back. There won't be any, mm, I'm just on the fence. I'm not really sure. I need more attention. No, it will be, I know and I believe without reserve and I'm turning from my sins and running to Christ. If you're a believer today, future hope is owned equally by every believer. Future hope is, now, and this is important because a lot of you are, think a lot of things about other believers that aren't good. Future hope is owned equally by all believers. We have the one spirit. We're in the one body. This is call. Call from verse 1. Calling. It's reminding them. There's a mandate here. You need to maintain the unity of that divine calling. Don't be messing around. Don't be going on your own. Don't be thinking, oh, you know what? My thoughts are, are better than God's thoughts. No, he, he's already said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And by the way, this is not an insignificant part of the Christian life. You know when you're putting something together? You're, I, just yesterday, I was assembling something that, we, that I bought my wife at Christmas. Don't feel too bad about me. I, I know, why, why did I indict myself about that? Why did I do this? Huh? I don't know why I did it. But I, I had to be honest. And I, and I was just putting together a thing that I got my wife for Christmas. And as I was putting it together, I found these three extra parts. Jerry, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, wait, what, what's up? Oh, no, I got the whole thing done. And then I looked in the book. They, they give you a little book sometimes. I lo actually looked in it. And guess what it said? In case such and such happens, use these three little parts. I'm like, ah, oh, that didn't happen. Okay, praise the Lord, you know. But here's the deal. You go, oh, hope. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll add that one on. Let me tack that on. Put it in my belt. You know, remember the people who used to have the old phone holster? I'll put it on the holster. We'll put, it, we'll put it back there just in case I need it. Put it in my backpack or whatever. No, hope, this hope, this hope is not an insignificant part of the Christian life, like extra parts when you're assembling something. It is the very center of the Christian life, and we will see this as we keep going through chapter 4. That the hope of your calling is huge because you didn't used to have hope. And God effectively called the believer into hope of eternal life and glorious inheritance through Christ. It's the same for Jew and Gentile. One body. And the Spirit indwelling gives the one hope so that every Christian has the same glorious inheritance called to hope. That, that you're saved by grace through faith. And, and people like to do this a lot, and, and they kind of, I don't know, shortchange the Christian life or they truncate it or something. They kind of like pause their Christian life. They go, I got saved on this day back then. And then you look at their life and you're like, really? You really did get saved? Because you look at their life and you're like, I, I don't know. It doesn't look like a Christian to me. Well, here's the deal. We're saved by grace through faith. And it, it happens in a point in time. You might not know when it happened, but God regenerates you. You gives you faith. You believe. You, you know, hear the gospel. You, you get saved. And that's a point in time kind of thing. But what the Bible gives you even more fully is a continuing in time salvation. That we are saved and being saved. That we are saved from the power and penalty of sin, but we are being saved and we will one day be fully saved from the presence of sin. 
And what, what we're really pointing to is this great salvation that God grants to believers is a, is a justifying and sanctifying, purifying hope. And it's a hope of freedom from sin's presence, not just its penalty and its power. That one day, believer, you will be fully free from all of sin's effects. That you will be fully free from all of sin's rebellion. That you will be fully free from anything having to do with sin. Not true for the unbeliever. Not true for the unbeliever. But for the believer, one day you will be fully free. Paul told the Colossians, he said, you were once alienated. You were hostile in your mind. You were doing evil deeds and God reconciled you through Christ by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's his goal. That's what he's going to do. You're looking at yourself and you're thinking, he's got a lot of work to do. You're looking at others going, woo, that he's got a, really, a lot, a lot of work to do. He is going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And, and then he says this, if indeed... You continue in the faith. You don't go by the wayside. You don't suffer shipwreck. You don't say, I don't really like this anymore. No, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shipwrecked, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The hope drives you to be holy. 1 John 3 says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself as he is pure. You want to live a clean life. You want to please God. Titus puts it this way. The grace of God has appeared, Titus 2, 11 to 14, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you, if you say to me, I didn't sign up for that when I became a Christian, then you might not have become a Christian. You're like, oh, you're, you're bringing out new stuff. No, no, this was here all along. This was here all along. Waiting for our blessed hope, it says, the appearing the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. This is why Galatians says, we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That we see in Romans that character begets appreciation of hope. It says that perseverance leads to character and character hope, where you're actually saying, I have hope in Christ. I want to live a clean life. It's illustrated by David, the one who had such a broken and contrite heart. But, but he didn't justify his sin and claim innocence. He ran from sin. And he said in Psalm 39, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. John Owen on the mortification of sin and believers said this, faith at work in Christ for the killing of your sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Live in this and you will die a conqueror. The saving hope that's a life preserver that anchors you and, and you're being sanctified and people see signs of life and you rejoice. Secondly, it is a, not just a saving hope, but it is a unifying hope. If you look at verse 4 here, Ephesians 4.4, 4, just as you, this is the plural church, speaking to the church, were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. 
We suffer and rejoice together as believers. Hope holds us fast. It's an anchoring hope that holds us together. It's unifying. In Hebrews 6, the writer of Hebrews says, We who have fled for refuge to Christ, fled for refuge from sin to Christ, may have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And then he tells us what it looks like. And he says, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is based on God's perfection, his holy perfection, his faithfulness, his truth. Hope that enters within the veil, the holy of holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Think about it. Your grief is real. Believers rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But hope anchors you. Hope gives you a preferable future. Hope gives you more than you have right now. Hope leads to assurance. Hope leads to confidence. Hope leads to you saying, all will be just as God has said, not as I think. It's a patient hope to see the object of hope, this, this unifying hope, the, the unseen hope of sharing Christ's glory at the end of the age. And this is what what Paul said to the Romans, he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This unifying hope, it's like a cable string you know, holding a string of yard lights. Hope is bolstered by the one body. This is not, by the way, God saying, all right, you're a Christian now? All right, go out on your own, and you have the goal now to be self-sufficient and live off the grid, live away from the church. No, it's to, for you to be a contributing member of a church doing kingdom work. This is why the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us, he's talking to the church, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He's going to bring it about. So then he says this right on its heels. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Like don't leave one another in the lurch. Don't say in, in, by your absence, I don't need you or want you. That is what it means to forsake. But no, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of hope, the day of fulfillment, we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To the Thessalonians, Paul said this, I remember. And I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's faith, hope, and love. Your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Heaven is watching. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you would see this as a unifying hope, that you would lean into it and maximize strengths and mitigate split loyalties, and it should all be for Christ and for his kingdom. That you would not care who gets the credit for anything going on. And by the way, a friend of mine the other day said to me, this doesn't leave much room for disunity. To which I said, it doesn't leave any room for disunity. He meant the same thing I meant. But it doesn't leave any room for disunity. It paints you into a beautiful corner. There's no wiggle room on this. You're grieving the spirit if you don't fight for unity. 
in spite of your sin, in spite of your brother's sin, the sin that obscures and clouds the hope. No, you should engage in meaningful, impactful teamwork in Christ because we have a saving hope. It's like a life preserver, and we have a unifying hope. It is a sure anchor. The third thing I want to bring out is in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 17. It's a protecting hope. It's a protecting hope that hope in Christ powerfully protects the Christian. And here we see it as a helmet. It's equipment. You know, there's a football game going on today, if you don't know, and people are going to be putting on helmets. They put on helmets so their brains won't get crushed or skulls get crushed. Here we see this equipment of protecting hope as a helmet. In Ephesians 6, 17, it says this, Take the helmet of salvation. It's quoting from Isaiah 59, verse 17, that says pretty much the same thing. What opens this up is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. It says this, Let us who are of the day, literally of Christ, walking in the light, be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The helmet is the hope of salvation. You want to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? You want to not be conformed to this world? you got to, as Peter put it, prep your minds for actions. Prep your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How does this come about? How does the helmet of salvation protect the Christian? The means by which, and this is why I believe that it says take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The means by which God inspires hope in your heart is His Word, based on His covenant. It's, it's hope produced through the Scriptures. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 81, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your Word. Romans 15, 4 says, Whatever things were written before were written for our edification that through patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. That the gospel hope, Colossians puts it this way, you are in Christ because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. You need the word of God if, you're, if, you're, if your mind is going to be protected by this hope. Spurgeon said it this way, scripture is like a lion, whoever heard of defending a lion, turn it loose, it will defend itself. And most of us think of it as, yeah, let it loose and, and it's defend itself. No, it will defend itself even against your own mind. Your own mind is thinking things that are not biblical or, or group think stuff. Uh, look, look, there's a football game today. A lot of people are hoping one team wins or another team wins. You know who I'm rooting for today? I'm going to tell you who I want to win. The Dallas Cowboys. All right, I say this for the last 20 years. It's my Super Bowl Sunday joke, all right? I want the Dallas Cowboys to win today. People are betting money on the game. They're having gatherings. It is possible, right this very moment, you know more about the game or more about who's doing the halftime show than you do what I'm preaching about. It's possible that you know more about pop culture than the eternal word of God. Why? Because of time spent thinking about it. Because of time spent dwelling on it. I mean, who knows the Bible storyline? It's possible you know more about pop culture and the news and politics and sports or the storyline of Guardians of the Galaxy more than you know how to explain your hope in Christ. Why? Simple. Time spent exposed to and thinking about it. 
It takes a lot of patience to run with endurance the race set before us. You have to think biblically. Romans 12 says this, Rejoicing in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's a good trio, isn't it? Job, all-time most famous patient man, lived that trio. Called to hold on to his hope and his devotion to God in the midst of trial. You probably know Job's story. Satan insisted perversely that all of humanity has rebelled against its creator, and Yahweh gives Job as exhibit A of living by faith. And Satan said that Job only served God because of what he got, And so the Lord put Job to the test to show the liar and accuser was wrong. And Satan attacked Job more violently than he did anyone in history except for Jesus. And Job had three friends who told him he suffered due to his own sin. And Job, he wanted to know the reason why he was suffering as a believer. And Job held on and he refused to curse God. He complained, he complained loudly, he asked some some pointed questions but he always spoke rightly about God. Now, there are a lot of things we will call courageous that are ridiculous. We will call ridiculous things courageous, but Job made one of the most faith-filled, courageous statements ever. In Job 13, 15, he said this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Our hope as pilgrims in this valley of death is that God has prepared a place for us, a better world to begin at Christ's return, and you will groan. Believer, you will groan, but never lose your confidence in God. You have this protecting hope, the helmet for your mind, and it's, it's not a guessing game. God didn't just throw out a jar of keys to you and say, here, you figure it out. It's not the road trip game, I spy with my little eye. It, God is not saying, read my mind. You don't have to read his mind. He will renew your mind by his word. He has revealed his mind in it. This is more like the matching game, really. You see one thing. You see it again somewhere else. You recognize it's God at work to will and do his good pleasure. You need to know. You need to learn and explain your hope. It's a reasonable hope. should be verbally uh, confessed and accounted for. Be ready to give an answer concerning the hope in you. You know that our hope is one of no more evangelism. That one day there will be no more evangelism. That right now, while you're alive, before you die or Jesus comes back, is the only time you have to do evangelism, to share the gospel with others. We have this hope of being with Jesus forever. And he is with us now. But but now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now we are sinful, then we'll be perfected. Now we are burdened, then we will be free. And now we are grieving, then we will have great joy that we will know for sure about our hope. And let me ask you, where is your hope today? Where is your hope? What future is yours? Don't create your own future. You go to the pottery place and make your own pottery. Go to the painting place, paint your own picture and all of that. Don't do that with, with your life. What are you aiming for? What's your hope? You do not want false hope. You do not want distorted hope. You do not want to ignore hope. Paul told this to the Thessalonians, May our our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What is this one hope? 
It's, it's a confident expectation of good in the future from God, and its basis is God's work in Christ, and it saves, and it unifies, and it protects, and it even protects you such that you would be set free to serve God's purposes, that you don't have to be shackled by the false ideas you sometimes hold, that you, you know, we hold our opinions in such high regard. We need to hold the authoritative word of God in the highest regard so that our, our strong opinions would loosen their grip on our minds because your mind must be renewed. I love how God paints us in this perfect corner to the most freeing thing in the world that, there, that he has revealed his plan and there is hope and all believers have the same hope. And it, it, it saves you and it unifies us and it protects us and it wakes you up in the morning. It's the force to drive your life. It's even when your soul is cast down, you believe something you can't see. He's given this hope to every true believer. It's the reason to live. And by the way, you don't need more hope. You need to think more about the hope you already have. You need to focus more on the hope you already have. It's the anchor for your soul. It's the strength you need. We tend to what? Lean on power and prosperity and pride. And God wants you to look to him in your powerlessness, in, in whatever persecution, in whatever pain. It's like that storm on the sea on the way to Rome in Acts 27. They were without food for a long time, and Paul stands up and says, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. But let's see what we've got going on. He says, I urge you to take heart. There will not be any loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. There will be a shipwreck. But hope is firm. What if, by the way, the answer to your weary heart today is not, I just need a break and I just need to rest. But what if it is, I need to remember what God has said. I need to remember what God has done. This is the words that we see in Lamentations chapter 3. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. And Lord, I pray that we would not suffer shipwreck of faith but that we would hold on to hope as you hold on to us. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. We are coming to the Lord's table today to remember, we were instructed to remember Jesus at this table. And so that's what we'll do. This table is for believers, just like hope is given to believers. The living hope saves and sanctifies. And We read in the Bible that if anyone eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner, they're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. If you eat it not in accordance with its worth, if you're not a believer, you shouldn't be doing this with us. These are not magical elements, but they mean something to us. 
Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. He's talking about him substituting himself in our place. And he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he said, do this as often as you, as you do it in remembrance of me. You're remembering, you're remembering the truth. And, and once again, uh, being renewed in, in your hope. We are to examine ourselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And if you are a believer today, you're trusting in Christ alone. Save you from sin's penalty and power and one day its presence. And partake with us that Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And with the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we thank you that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup at your table with your people, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. Come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand once more and we'll close singing Pardon for Sin and a Peace that Endureth. things before we go. Homes of Hope. February team is leaving this Friday. We've got 24 people. Praise God. He uh, provided all the people and all the resources and all the money that needed to be raised. And I uh, want to welcome new members Alex and Michelle Rosu. If you'd like to become a member of Grace, we have a membership class on the 28th of this month on Wednesday night. You can sign up now. Uh, there is no midweek word on Wednesday for adults, uh, but all the other youth and children's are meeting this week. Fieldhouse is... Um, Grading is finished. Lots of missions opportunities always. Continue to pray for Ashley Ortlip and Bethany Ma as they serve uh, South Africa. Bethany's coming home on the 12th. And uh, let's close with Romans 15, verse 13, which says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And Lord, that's our prayer. May you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we, by the power of the Spirit, may abound in hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air.